Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, very glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Uh, if you're hearing this, I assume you've woken up from the snooze, the deep slumber that you were in um, as you watch the State of the Union. But we'll talk about that more in our second martini. But, Jim, uh, before we get going on the martinis, uh, the State of the Union, I guess, was one of the last official acts of Chief of Staff Ron Klain. He's now former Chief of Staff. Jeff Zients, the former COVID guy, uh, is the Chief of Staff. But the final tweet from Ron Klain from his White House Chief of Staff account, proud of what we have done, excited about, and then all caps, finishing the job as he leaves and quits. So I don't know if he's going to the campaign. <laughs> We're going to finish the job. Now I quit. <laughs> Brett Bear was saying last night that that sounds like a re-election campaign theme. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe it'll be part of the campaign. Who knows? But uh, just just great unintentional comedy there. We are going to finish this job, and I'll see you later. All right, on to our good martini. Much more about the State of the Union in just a moment. But uh, there actually is an election this month, February 28th, in Chicago. And I believe the way it works in Chicago is if you get a majority, that's it. Uh, if there's uh, nobody that gets a majority, then there is a runoff, very similar to the uh, Georgia Senate situation. That's how I think Rahm Emanuel had to do that once, and uh, and it may happen again this time. There's at least three candidates that are pretty prominent. But what uh, ABC7 in Chicago is reporting, and also uh, Jazz Shaw over at Hot Air, is that Chicago voters might be in a position to actually elect someone sane, given the downward spiral uh, that the Windy City has been in uh, over many, many years now, and not just when it comes to their football team. Uh, there's a guy named Paul Vallis, a perennial Democratic candidate. He's run for uh, mayor before. He's run for governor before. He's had a lot of government positions. Uh, he is apparently seen as a potential front runner here in recent polling, and that means the lefties are going after him very fiercely because he's uh, apparently had some statements in the past opposing abortion, but uh, also because he's very strong in trying to crack down on crime. So going up against him is the current mayor, Lori Lightfoot, who is not very popular. And according to recent polling, not very popular among black voters there either. And then one of the other candidates is Jesus Chuy Garcia, who I believe forced Emmanuel to a runoff a number of years back. And he is running a lot of attack ads against Vallis saying he's not a real Democrat. So, Jim, you know, when your neighborhood uh, sees gang murders all the time, rampant crime, I'm sure... Uh, previous candidates' uh, statements on abortion and crime are your biggest concerns, or you might want to actually go with the guy who wants to clean up your neighborhood. I don't know. Yeah, Greg, I was kind of struck when I went to the uh, Chicago NPR affiliate uh, for background on this, and I found their assessment that uh, her chances of beating either uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia or former Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis in the runoff appear slim and her prospects for even making it to the April election are up in the air. Uh, you know, they point to the poll. Three in five voters disapprove of the job she's doing in her first term. Uh, more than half hold an unfavorable opinion of her. Greg, you know, if more than half the people don't like you, it's really tough to win a majority. Uh, and it's, you know, 71 percent of the city of respondents said the city is on the wrong track. Twenty nine percent of respondents did not reply because they were being mugged. That's how bad crime is in Chicago right now, Greg. Um, I, I look at this and I'm kind of like, okay, look, I have no doubt that both Garcia and Vallis would enact policies that would be 
considerably to the left of what I want. They're trying to win an election in Chicago. It's a very democratic city. By a lot of measures, it's a very progressive city. It's Barack Obama's old hometown, right? So I, I have no illusions that this is going to be full spectrum conservative or a mayor I'm going to agree with often. But it does indicate that particularly on the issue of crime, but also I suspect on the issues of economic developments, of people moving away, uh, homelessness, etc., you have a situation that's the, basically the city of Chicago is fed up and say, this isn't working anymore. Even loyal Democrats can't point to the city government and say they're doing a good job right now. In a circumstance like this, where you feel like your government has failed you, whether this is a local level, state level, you should go for the challenger. You should go for a change because the challenger will have at least one thing going for them. The challenger will not look at everything the city or state is doing and saying, you know what, we're doing a great job. Everything's going fine. I'm not going to change anything because that would mean admitting a mistake. Challengers come in and they have a little bit of political capital to come in and make changes and do things differently. Could they do things worse? Yes, although I can hear you saying, oh, God, how much worse could it get? Uh, my guess is, is that both of them would want to take a tougher line on crime more prosecutions. And look, you know, you look at, oh, my goodness, could there be a, a less progressive candidate winning in Chicago? Well, remember, you know, San Francisco recalled the district attorney who wasn't prosecuting crime. We've had other frustrations. I would have liked to see Rick Caruso win in Los Angeles. Fell short there. I'm not saying you know, this is going to be a, you know, quick turnaround, but people do reach their breaking point, And maybe we're seeing that here in Chicago. And I think in a way, not making the runoff would be a nice, clear signal to Lightfoot uh, to quote the wise philosopher, uh, Oliver Queen, also known as the Green Arrow, you have failed this city. And this is a sign. We don't even want to contemplate you as one of the final two options. You have failed. It's time for a change. Good luck, either Vallis or Garcia. So I, I want to see a change recognizing I'm not going to like anything these, these mayors do, but the city really is struggling and it need, deserves something much better. And maybe one of those two guys might offer that as an option. Yeah, there's no conservative cartwheels here. You're going to get a liberal either way. But just a little bit of sanity on some of the key issues, because in big cities, crime, safety, uh, that is really a kind of the core issue. And Lightfoot has done virtually nothing about that. You also have, you know, when your political career is about to hit the skids, there's kind of a couple of moments that crystallize things. Could be uh, her handling of the whole Jesse Smollett thing. But I think the bigger thing is when riots were going on in Chicago, but she had her block thoroughly protected uh, mm. by police while the rest of the, the neighborhood was in chaos. And I think people remember stuff like that for a long, long time. I'll tell you what else you can remember for a long, long time, how delicious the meat is that you get in your moink box, whether it's the steaks, whether it's literally the best bacon I've ever had. And that's not a Joe Biden, literally. I mean, it. it's the best bacon I've ever had. Chicken, so many other options. Then it comes in the moink box right to your porch. So do it today and enjoy your moink box. Moink delivers grass fed and grass finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild caught Alaskan salmon all delivered straight to your door. And remember, you choose the meat delivered in every box, whether it's ribeyes or chicken breasts or pork chops or salmon fillets, and there's so much more. Plus, remember, you can cancel anytime. I love the Moink box and the meat that you get there, and I know you will too if you give it a try. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com martini right now, and listeners of the Three Martini Lunch will get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash martini, moinkbox.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our State of the Union coverage now. And uh, 
largely what we expected. But let's get to uh, some of the more prominent points of the night. I won't call them highlights because there weren't really a lot of those. But, uh, you know, we talked uh, very presciently about entitlements yesterday. And boy, was that one of the big moments of the evening. Here's uh, Biden trying to feed the country a line about what congressional Republicans wanted to do in order to get a debt ceiling deal. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it. Unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. So let they, me give you. Then they had a big uh, back and forth over that, which led to this depressing moment. As we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the off the books now. Right? They're not to be spoken. All right. He meant off the table, not off the books. And so nobody's going to touch it. Just like we said yesterday, nobody has any intention of doing so. Then there is the issue of energy. Uh, he blamed energy companies uh, for not reinvesting more into domestic production, which led to this unintentional laugh line. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, well, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway. So why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed... <laughs> And beyond that, we're going to need it. Just not even living in the real world. Uh, and Jim, we'll get to uh, China and a really bizarre comment uh, he said about China in our crazy martini. The last one I'll use here is when he was clearly supposed to name the Ukrainian ambassador in the gallery, and he just didn't even try. Tonight, we're once again joined by Ukrainian's ambassador to the United States. She represents not her, just her nation, but the courage of her people. Ambassador... Is our ambassador is here, united. <laughs> our, we're in uniting our support of your country. Will you stand so we can all take a look at you? <laughs> so, her name is Oksana Markarova, and if I'm saying that wrong, it's because I didn't know that until today. If he's, uh, if she is his uh, great great friend, he should at least be able to take a stab at it. But Jim, that was uh, that was fun times. But uh, overall, a lot of boilerplate uh, rhetoric, and to finish the job, yada yada yada. Republicans talking back to him at times. What, what do you take away from it? Stand up so we can all take a look at you. I'll squint and see if I can put a name to that face. Um, so it, it was last night was as painful as you'd expect. My colleague, Charlie Cook, wrote in the corner today that after 45 minutes, he just stopped. He changed the channel and he started drinking. Um, and I, I sympathize with that. Probably it's a good, this is where we should probably mention liver health. Uh, then as much as, you know, I believe we're all obligated to watch through the whole thing, whether we like to or not, dragged on. It went on till 1020, 1021, something like that. Uh, at, at, towards the end, it was competing against LeBron James trying to break the all-time NBA career scoring record. Um, but I guess you could say that by some standards of Biden giving a speech relatively late at night, it was you know, good by his standards. Um, but there were cases where he tripped over his words and looked every bit of his 80 years uh, on his, the, the little jujitsu move where he thought he was, you know, really uh, pulling one over on Republicans by getting them to agree to not touch uh, Social Security and Medicare. Look, whatever, you know, this is the moment of bipartisanship that everybody felt good about. And here you and I are saying, no, this is terrible. Uh, <laughs> Phil Klein said it was appalling. Look, according to the trustees of the U.S. Treasury Department, Medicare Part A runs out of money in 2028. That's the last year of whoever's going to win the presidency in 2024. 
All right, it's really it's a little less than six years away. The Social Security program uh, with the Old Age and Survivors Benefit Trust Fund that runs out in 2034. It's a little bit more than a year, or a little bit more than a decade, right? You know, that you know, those are not, by the way, projections of some right wing think tank or something like that. This is what Byron Donald was pointing out to Joy Reid on MSNBC a couple nights ago. And Joy Reid just, you know, acted like this malfunctioning robot insisting of, you know, no, that is not accurate. That is not true. That is not accurate. That is not true. Um, those are the facts, whether you like it or not. And Biden thinks he's pulled a fast one. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, well, I've just gotten Republicans to agree because they're not going to touch the programs. They're going to have to agree to tax increases. Well, it's going to take a lot of tax increases to make those programs solvent. And oh, by the way, as I laid out in today's morning jolt, right around that time, the U.S. is going to be spending probably in the ballpark of a trillion dollars a year just on the interest payments of the debt. You've heard about those rising interest rates? Well, that increases how much the U.S. has to uh, pay for interest on the existing debt. And oh, by the way, you look at the charts, it's basically almost like a straight line in the last you know six months to a year. We are paying way more interest than we expected to. That's going to make everything tougher. So you, you can't solve all this by saying, ah, I'm only going to raise taxes over people making $400,000 a year. Uh, it's just not workable. The numbers don't add up. And what we saw last night was both Democrats and Republicans and President Biden all choosing to pretend that there's some other magic wand solution that is out there that's a problem. Where you know, My colleague Ramesh Pinaru pointed out, for a long time, Republicans argued private savings accounts and things like that back during the George W. Bush years. That was 12 years ago. Uh, actually, well, coming up on 14 years ago, it's it's over. Uh, that we're 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 well past that point. That's not going to be enough um, to to keep Social Security and to help the, the retirees. Baby boomers are retiring more and more each day. The numbers are not on our side. Time is not on our side. But nobody really wants to address all of that. Um, so look, you know, all in all, this is what we've come to expect from Biden. Um, and as I said in the lead up to this, you know. In a, in a couple of days, I don't think anybody's going to remember much beyond the heckling from uh, the House Republicans. And I think that was an, uh, an, a, a moment that did not make them look good. I wish, I wish they had heeded the lessons of Joe Wilson, uh, who infamously said, you lie, during an Obama speech to both chambers back in 2009. Joe Wilson was not proud of that. In fact, he tells the story of calling up his wife and his wife asked, who is that idiot who yelled out during the speech? Uh, Joe Wilson apologized, and I think he was genuinely mortified at his breach of decorum, and he recognized that he didn't look uh, authentic or persuasive or cool or defiant or anything like that, that he looked like a jerk. And I don't think what happened last night was any second of improvement. Republicans get their opportunity for a rebuttal, and it's supposed to begin after the speech, not during it, Greg. Yeah, and by most accounts, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders did fine. She had a good line about uh, how she's the youngest uh, female governor, uh, and the Biden administration has the oldest president, and they're still not sure what a woman is. And so uh, they, uh, the whole contrast of normal versus crazy uh, seemed to go well over with the base. I don't know about the middle part of the country. Jim, one thing I think we should briefly address, because <laughs> a lot of people were talking about it on social media last night, was the uh, kiss on the lips between the first lady and the second gentleman in the gallery before the speech. Some people thought that was uh, excessive affection. It's social Washington. It's really awkward. It's really uncomfortable. I hate when people try to do that. And so I know why the rest of America thinks it looks truly weird and bizarre and uncomfortable, because it is. But it's kind of standard in Washington, and uh, unfortunately, it hasn't gone anywhere. Listeners, I will verify this. Every time I try to kiss Greg on the lips, he pulls away. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, look, that's generally not my preferred greeting. I don't think there's any significance to this. If you think they're being inappropriate or outrageous, folks, try to have some sympathy. Think about who they're married to. Um, and finally, I just want to observe, gee, we're, we're not all that worried about COVID anymore, are we, Greg? <laughs> Apparently not. Yes. If you're not my wife, you stay away from my lips. Pretty simple rule. Anyway, uh, Crazy Martini's next. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And this is uh, from one specific moment in the speech last night. Uh, a lot of people wondering how much Joe Biden would talk about China. The answer, not much at all. Uh, and, of course, he uh, made it sound like uh, shooting down the balloon after it had gone all the way across uh, the United States was some act of great leadership and defiance to China trying to violate our sovereignty. But nonetheless, uh, he then talked about how democracy is ascending and authoritarians are uh, on the decline. Uh, and here's how he uh, couched it. But in the past two years, democracies have become stronger, not weaker. Autocracy has grown weaker, not stronger. Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. Uh, depending on what you mean by a world leader, if that means a leader of any country, Probably a lot of them, because a lot of them want to be authoritarian. They are fine repressing their people. They would gladly take his economy and his military. So, uh, unfortunately, a lot of them would, I think. Yeah, two things. First of all, is when Grandpa goes off script, he <laughs> says things that don't really make much sense. Secondly, this is not the first time we've seen Biden not just try to emphasize a point, but sound like like really angry, almost enraged over it. Name me one. You know, you know it was almost four or five days ago, man. You know, it's just this like, <laughs> where's this where's this anger coming from, Joe? Um, and, and you know, yeah, I mean, does does China have problems? Sure, you know, uh, the shutdowns over the COVID nineteen really hurt their economy. Um, there's a lot of argument about whether they have some sort of speculative bubble. They have infrastructure problems. Um, population is declining. Yeah, you know, China's got problems and Xi Jinping's got problems. But I mean, I think there are a lot of world leaders who would trade their country's problems for China's problems. It is still the rising superpower. It is still one of the fastest growing militaries in the entire world. Um, you know, that, that, that doesn't even really make much sense. And there were two other aspects of Biden's very brief remarks on China that seemed odd to me. The first is, I, I mentioned this a bit in the jolt. I'm going to have a longer piece on this. Um, so of all the parts of Biden's policies towards China, there's one that's working really well. Uh, and that is about our effort to stop China's ability to import advanced semiconductors. Uh, back in October, the U.S. announced this. Didn't really get a ton of attention. But apparently, you know, not only has most, almost pretty much every other U.S. and international company decided to agree, Japan signed on, Netherlands, Netherlands signed on. We did similar restrictions on Macau. Um, and apparently this is, you know, hitting the Chinese tech sector. Uh, they're squealing like, like stuck pigs. This is really having a fast effect. Prices have apparently gone up five or six times of what they used to be amongst the semiconductor chips they can still get. And this is very important, not just for all kinds of advanced technology, but also for their artificial intelligence they're trying to develop. Um, and it's not just the U.S. Uh, saying this is the case, although I do point to some U.S. defense supply chain analysts. I link to them. Uh, you look at the South China Morning Post and various other Chinese news media. They're saying this is hitting uh, the Chinese tech sector really, really bad, saying it could set them back decades, particularly their efforts to develop artificial intelligence and military applications of artificial intelligence. I don't know about you, Greg. Every time I heard that phrase, military applications of artificial intelligence, I flash back to the Terminator movies. Um, <laughs> but hey, 
what are the odds of a Chinese experiment getting out of control, right? You know, we, we have no recent experience with that. Um, so, so here's this like great success. And weirdly enough, Biden mentioned semiconductors in the context of we're, oh, we're creating jobs here in America. He didn't mention this in the Chinese section. So this is the one case where I'm going to say, hey, good job, Biden administration. And Biden doesn't want to talk about it. So I thought that was weird. And then, look, we just went through this week-long drama over the balloon and Biden really made just the vaguest reference. You know, if China threatens our sovereignty, we will act to protect our country as we did, as we made clear last week. That's it. That's all he said. Um, I think if you looked at it, you'd say this, this was a speech which Biden didn't want to talk about foreign policy, which I think is really ominous, which because it means it's an indicator. Things are not going as well in our foreign policy as he wanted them to. And he just would rather avoid the issue, which is not an option the president really has, uh, at least not for very long. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, whether that's an issue of he just wants this whole story to go away because the more people dig into it, the, the less uh, strong he's going to look. Or was the speech already pretty much done and they just had to kind of cram in an extra <laughs> phrase in there uh, to address the issues of the last few days? But uh, either way, not strong. Now, when he yells like that, uh, he reminds me of Walter. Uh, Walter is the uh, the puppet in the ventriloquist act of Jeff Dunham, you know, who also used to have Ahmed the dead terrorist and and uh, some of those other people. If you, yes. you if you Google Walter and that kind of uh, it's not surprising frown, that Dana Carvey yeah. when he's on radio shows can do a really good one because he used to do Cranky Old Man and that was basically his Biden. You know, <laughs> it was also very much the back in my day. You know, that's right. Oh uh, yeah, we got a Joey story. Uh, I don't know if it was true. Uh, no offense to the original Mr. Biden, but uh, I think Joe takes some liberties with those stories. But uh, anyway, uh, the state of the union is behind us, Jim. Another year before we have to sit through another one, thankfully. And uh, we'll talk about more exciting things tomorrow, hopefully. See you then. Oh, thank goodness. See you tomorrow, Greg. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us both on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Wednesday and join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.